I'm Ben Max, Executive Editor of Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy, Executive Editor of City Limits. Gotham Gazette and City Limits are partnering on Agenda 2019, a project to set the stage for what promises to be a transformational and controversial year at the city and state levels of government in New York. We're exploring many of the major political dynamics and policy issues that will be on the table in the year ahead, starting with the fact that Democrats will have complete control of state government in New York, creating a new opportunity for the party to move along a list of legislation on everything from voting reform to abortion protections to gun control to rent regulations to environmental policy and more. With Manhattan Neighborhood Network, we're bringing you a short series of discussions as part of Agenda 2019 including one today to look ahead to 2019 in Albany, the seat of state government, and what newly empowered Democrats plan to do. Joining us for today's discussion is a newly elected state senator who pulled off an upset victory earlier this year. We welcome Senator-elect Jessica Ramos. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Good, I'm excited. Good to get a chance to talk to you before you really get going, but what's the transition period been like uh, so far for you? You know, it's been really interesting. Um, I think that people traditionally have expected a lull in between when you win an election and when you are getting ready to take over the seat and get to work. There's a ton of work that goes into uh, into this 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 time uh, in staffing up, figuring out who it is that we're going to hire, where our district office is going to be, what we want the office to look like, um, and of course making sure that we're laying the groundwork uh, to pass the progressive legislation that we campaigned on and that we know is really necessary uh, for all New Yorkers, and especially with such a big incoming new class, right? So out of a 39-person major majority, there are 15 new Democratic state senators coming in. So it's, it's going to be Pretty a fun incredible. time. Yeah. So let's pull back a second, talk about your district. Uh, where is it? What neighborhoods does it cover? Where are you from? <laughs> so I'll be re representing the 13th senatorial district in Queens, which is Jackson Heights, Corona, East Elmhurst, and parts of Astoria, Woodside, and Elmhurst. Um, it is uh, the corner of the planet where I was born, where I was raised, where I still live. I'm raising two boys who are five and seven. They're adorable. Um, and a pain in the butt, especially this morning before going to school. But um, boys, if you're watching, <laughs> but um, but they're wonderful and a huge reason of why I ran in the first place. I mean, you know, I come from a very working class district that really depends on the MTA to get around, which means we need the MTA to be reliable. We need our public schools to function and be fully funded. We need to make sure that that campaign for fiscal equity funding is included in the budget this year. And of course, you know, rent, with rent regulations coming up, uh, expiring in June, that I think will be a big topic for our conference this year. We need to figure out how it is that we're going to protect tenants and do away with a lot of the loopholes and laws that have favored uh, uh, landlords for a very long time. So that district is not just geographically large, it has to be one of like the most diverse legislative districts in the country. Um, go behind the curtain a little bit. How do you figure out where to put your office? How do you figure out how to yeah. staff up around trying to talk to all those different communities when you're in your office? What, sure. what does that look like? So, so we are actually the most diverse district in the country. We speak more than 160 languages in our district. We have the second largest LGBTQ community in New York, including the largest trans-Latina uh, uh, population in the country. Um, and so I want a staff 
that is very reflective of the district. Um, we are trying to find as many people as possible who come from the district. Uh, we want to make sure that constituent services are available um, in the languages that are spoken the most in the district. So, you know, of course there will be Spanish speakers, but we're, we're hoping to also have Bengali and Urdu speakers, Tibetan and Nepalese speakers. And we are looking to put the district office in the geographical center of the district uh, where public transportation can easily, um, you know, uh, be accessible uh, for, for folks. It's not exactly a district that lends itself to, um, to there being a very centralized location, but we're looking along Northern Boulevard some, somewhere. You're going to be a state senator. You're state senator-elect. Starting in January, you'll, you'll be taking that seat. And so that means you spend a good portion of the year in Albany, and you have to manage, as you're indicating, a district office or sometimes two, and legislative affairs in Albany. So you indicated this a little bit before, but when you go up, you know, there's, there's the district uh, office work of, of helping constituents connect to services and hearing their problems, um, and we can get back to maybe some of that, but when you go to Albany, what are some of the things, and, and you mentioned some of these already, I think, but what are some of the things that you feel like you have a mandate from your election to go and pursue? So we're very much expecting to pass the Reproductive Health Act as soon as possible. We know that New York's women are in danger, especially considering the makeup of the Supreme Court currently. We don't want to take for granted, um, you know, our, our right to choose, and we want to make sure that Roe v. Wade is finally codified in New York. I know still a lot of people are very surprised to hear uh, that the abortion law on the books in this state is actually older than Roe v. Wade itself. So that's something that I'm really hoping we accomplish as soon as possible, as soon as the session uh, starts. Um, but I think we'll also have more uh, discussion around issues that are a bit more controversial that, you know, given the districts that we represent might lend itself to a, most, a more robust discussion, um, but are nevertheless priorities like our, like a single payer. Um, and congestion pricing, I think, are, are things that we understand need to happen. We need to make sure, uh, you know, every New Yorker has guaranteed access to quality health care. Um, and we need to make sure that we have um, an actual funding formula that is protected in a lockbox. This is something I personally feel very strongly about. Tired of governors using the MTA like an ATM. I want to make sure that we have steady funding streams that are protected so that we can actually have the MTA we deserve. Are there other things that in your election that you know your constituents really expect you to carry in the state legislature? Sure. I mean, obviously, given the work that my predecessor did around the DREAM Act, because we have the most dreamers in our district uh, across the state, uh, we're hoping that we'll continue to carry the DREAM Act, um, that we'll continue fighting for driver's licenses for all, of course, and the Liberty Act as well. These are just a few of the immigration reforms that we can do at this at the state level because, of course, immigration is, is federal law. But at the same time, I, I think that given what the White House is, uh, and, and I'm sure folks have, have read this morning about the seven-year-old girl who died uh, in Border Patrol custody out of dehydration and shock, um, which is completely inhumane and, and heartbreaking, um, that we, at least at the state level, do everything we can to protect our population. You mentioned your predecessor. We should talk about that. I mean, uh, you're the man you unseated. Jose Peralta died just before Thanksgiving. Um, 
during the transition, especially when you have an upset victory, there's always this effort, I assume, to reach out to supporters, try to show that you represent the full district. Um, how has his death changed that? Have you had much contact with his camp um, in, in terms of unifying the district? We have not had much contact with his camp at all. Um, you know, as was reported, I tried to pay my respects and um, it made folks uncomfortable and understandably, you know, my team and I left. Um, we just felt that it was the right thing to do. At the end of the day, you know, we didn't wish him any harm. We just had very distinct and specific disagreements with which, um, you know, uh, what we believe representation for our district should mean. Um, and, and, and that's why I think, you know, we put democracy in action. But ultimately, you know, I think it's been very difficult. Our district is certainly in mourning. He was our state senator for eight years, the assemblyman for many of them for a long time. And um, and I think that we, on our behalf, are trying to be as cooperative as possible. And of course, we would love for 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 us to work together to make sure that you know there is no um, there's no hard stop and start in between specialty services for our constituents for our neighbors, which I think is the most important thing for any elected official anyway. We're a little more than a month out from the election, and so looking back. Uh, you know, we tend to cast, we being the media, cast elections in broad strokes, but you've had a chance, I assume, to look at the numbers, talk to people. What do you attribute your victory, um, not so much in the general, which is a month ago, but in the primary too? What was, what was behind the fact that you were able to win? So I, I very much feel that it was a combination, just because the diverse is so uh, sorry, the district is so diverse, as I said earlier, you know, there were people who were very educated about the Independent Democratic Conference, you know, became activists this election cycle because they've woken up from, you know, the Trump nightmare. Right, um, we should quickly say, in case folks aren't up to speed, you were one of eight uh, candidates who in the Democratic primaries took on former members of the Independent Democratic Conference. Six of you, remarkably, uh, were successful, which is virtually unheard of for that many primary wins to happen in one year. Um, so sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, that's okay. That, that's, exact, yeah. that's exactly right. So a lot of people, specifically in Jackson Heights, um, you know, where, where the infamous town hall took place, where he tried to explain what the IDC was, tried to explain it as the progressive caucus even, even though they were empowering a Republican majority, which was inexplicable and indefensible to me, um, that very much helped in Jackson Heights, in Astoria, and many other parts of the district. But of course, not everybody is that in tune with politics. A lot of it was also a change in demographic. Our Latino population in the district is increasingly South American, like me. Um, and I think that then it came to the nitty-gritty of the issues. I was running against uh, um, an incumbent who was taking tens of thousands of dollars from real estate money while you know, we, well, many of us as renters, I'm a preferential renter, are going through a lot of injustices. For, exa for example, Lefrak City in my district, which is swamped in major capital improvement fees, um, increasing their rent sometimes $200 a month. Um, so I think just the cost of living, the quality of life, and, and, and the state's inability to act on those things ended up being a crucial factor for, for a, lot of the, a, a lot of our neighbors. What should uh, your constituents and anybody else watching and anybody else who's interested in state government expect from you as a state senator in terms of how you are going to approach your voice and your work in Albany? Should we expect you to be someone who's, um, you know, 
sort of blends into the scene more and wants to have their, your la <laughs> I wanted to give you the chance I'm to say it. I'm not a blender. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but there are people who, who approach their legislative work and, you know, are part of the conference and they make sure that they're almost never getting out ahead, you know, in public of, of having yeah. talked to their colleagues. And then there's people who come out and say, you know, like State Senator Liz Kruger, for example, just comes out and, say, <laughs> and says, here's what I think. Here's what I think my constituents need, you know, and, and here's what I'm going to talk to my colleagues about. I cannot believe I get to be Liz Kruger's colleague, for the record. The woman is amazing. I've admired her for such a long time. Um, and yes, I'm not, I'm not exactly the blend into the background type of person. I think that people should expect from me um, all the reasons why I ran for office to come to light, to uh, be the driving force behind the agenda that we'll put forth. Um, we will fight visibly. Um, a lot of what I talked about on the campaign trail was creating a, po a uh, political environment or a public discourse that is conducive to passing progressive legislation. We know how transactional this uh, the governor's administration can be. Um, and if, if things need to be made more comfortable for him to come ahead and, and be supportive of a lot of measure measures, then we'll do that. Um, and and, and that, I think that's what I bring to the table, especially now that I'll, I'm the incoming um, Senate Labor Committee Chair, um, and and most of my I know a lot of people know me from my time at City Hall, but I actually spent a near decade in the labor movement before that, um, and and to me it was uh, it's it's a matter of making sure that we are increasing or or um, making better the ability for working class people to live in New York in many many ways, um, and 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 really lifting the floor on wages and on labor protections. Uh, to make sure that you know people can keep New York home, so I think that that we'll we'll have a very very interesting year, um, and and we're going to do everything we can to be as productive as we can be. Let's talk about some of the particular policies you mentioned before. Two big ones: congestion pricing and singer, single payer. Congestion pricing is a great place to start. Forty people in the conference, some of them from districts that don't have anything to do with the MTA, some from districts that have resisted congestion pricing because of where the system touches them or doesn't touch them. In the cloakroom, behind the scenes, when you're talking to colleagues like that, how do you sell them on congestion pricing? So I, I think that ultimately we will end up coming to some sort of agreement where nobody's happy which is ultimately how you know you'll have a successful deal, right? Um, of course, because, I mean, we're, my district starts right by the East River. We're very supportive of congestion pricing um, because we understand the dire need of, of fixing, fixing our public transportation system. Other state senators care a lot about the environmental impact that taking these cars off the road would have. It's, it's really a big green issue to reduce carbon emissions. We want people to drive less. Um, and, and, and of course, people will only drive less if public transportation works. And that's kind of sort of the uh, which one should come first mm -hmm. question. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think that we we can never conceive of expanding the MTA, right? Eastern Queens is a huge transportation desert. East Elmhurst in my in my district, uh, which is the neighborhood where LaGuardia Airport is, is actually a transportation desert. You know, it's ultimately I think uh, going to result in in a lot of uh, you know making deals and, and and agreeing with each other that we just need to secure this uh, revenue funding stream in a way that that 
that is really um, cooperative and, and, and ultimately helpful to the bigger goal, the bigger mission, which is, of course, to fix the MTA. Um, so we'll figure it out. I mean, I think with Leroy Comrie from Eastern Queens, who will chair the corporations, authorities, and commissions uh, 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 committee, um, so many C's, I get confused sometimes. Um, <laughs> but that is people, you know, it's that's sort of a tricky name, but that is the committee in the state senate that oversees authorities like the MTA. Like the MTA, like the Port Authority, mm -hmm. so I'll be dealing with him about LaGuardia <laughs> too. Um, Tim Kennedy, who is now the chair of the Transportation Committee, he's from Buffalo, right? These are all issues, and let's, let's not forget that, of course, you know, the LIRR and Metro North are not exactly in great shape either. Um, so there's a lot of work to do on that front but I'm confident that that you know these these discussions will lead to something good for New Yorkers the New York Health Act maybe is a good starting off point for this next question to tie into which is you mentioned the governor a few times already you endorsed his you cross endorsed with his opponent in the in the Democratic primary uh, how do you think about sort of approaching your relationship with the executive branch with the governor um, do you expect that to cause any roadblocks for you it seems like the incoming Senate Majority Leader Andrew Stewart Cousins has not held that against you in any way. Um, so, so how do you how do you think about that um, relationship? You know, I, I I've always prided myself in having very good working relationships with my colleagues, who, whomever they may be. I will work with the governor when I believe he is right, and I will oppose him when I believe he is wrong. Um, and ultimately, my boss is my neighbors, um, and that is who sent me to, to the state senate, and that's who I will be held accountable to. That's the agenda that I'm pushing, is, is what my neighbors want me to do. Um, and so for single payer, I mean, it's a little different. So especially, I guess, as labor chair, I know that a lot of the unions, many of the unions have issues with the current bill. Um, Senator Gustavo Rivera, who will be the new health committee chair um, and is the sponsor of the New York Health Act, um, you know, we, all, we have a working relationship um, and we'll be working on that bill together with others to find uh, a solution that makes sure that every New Yorker is covered because ultimately that is the issue, right? We want to make sure every New Yorker has guaranteed quality health care um, and that it's done in a way that is fair to every stakeholder. So in some ways, maybe it's just more making sure that everybody has insurance and health care rather than a single-payer system? So I am, I am very much in favor of a single-payer system. I, that is what we campaigned on, and that is what we would love to deliver. I think that uh, once Gustavo is done having all of the conversations he needs to have, we'll hopefully have a good bill that everyone, everyone can accept. In your district, what do you see as the case for single payer? I mean, sometimes healthcare is talked about as kind of an abstract issue, it's about principles and ideology, but in terms of your constituents, where is the case in your district to move from what we have now to a single payer system? So for starters, the single payer healthcare bill would cover transitions for a lot of my transgender neighbors, regardless of whether they are documented or not. And this is a huge, huge issue because unfortunately not many insurance companies cover the medical needs uh, for these transitions. Um, and, and, and if they do cover, they only cover them partially. So this is something that's very important to me um, and, and making sure that uh, our transgender New Yorkers are included. And of course then there are undocumented immigrants and making sure that we are actually seeing access to healthcare as a public health issue. We don't want the person on, on the subway next to us to 
be coughing, to be, you know, we want, we want to prioritize preventive care. We don't want there to be any barrier, especially an economic one, for New Yorkers to be able to go to the doctor and get that annual checkup or if they're not feeling well. Or ultimately, we know that the most expensive type of health care is emergency health care, right? We want to alleviate all of the uh, craziness that takes place in emergency rooms. Now, I, I technically don't have a hospital in my district, which is another problem that we can discuss, but, um, but we are served by Elmhurst Hospital and Mount Sinai Hospital. And of course, Elmhurst Hospital is famous for having a full emergency room um, all the time because it's a trauma center um, and because it ends up serving such a, such a large geogra uh, geography. Um, so what, there's, there's a lot of work to do on the health front. I'm someone who's fighting desperately for a health clinic for East Elmhurst, where I have an aging black population, also a big undocumented population, and where there are virtually no doctors. And if, God forbid, there's some sort of emergency, they get stuck on the ambulance, in, on con in congestion, um, in traffic on, on, the, on the Grand Central Parkway, for example, on their way to the hospital. And that's something that's not fair, um, and, and we're looking to correct. In order for a lot of the priorities to move, and it's going to be a brand new day in Albany, Democrats taking control of the state Senate, Democrats having a very strong majority in the Assembly still, and of course a Democratic governor. But for anything to really move, you have to have agreement, Senate, Assembly, governor, um, unless of course the governor is going to veto something and the legislature is going to override that, but that's very rare. Um, what, do you, what do you see as sort of some of the dynamics that are going to be in play there? Are there do you, do you see a lot of things lining up where the Assembly and the Senate majorities will agree and really have to just sort of convince the governor to get on board? Are there different priorities in the Assembly versus the Senate? Uh, how, do, how does that all work? So I, do, I, I have yet to have a conversation about the priorities of the speaker. Um, I don't know if they've met in conference the way we have already, to be perfectly honest. Um, but traditionally, the assembly has been able to pass a lot of the progressive legislation that's been stalled um, uh, for a long time in a Republican-controlled state Senate. And of course, a lot of the uh, legislation that we campaigned on, not just me, but the other IDC challengers and even others who unseated incumbents like Julia Salazar, right? We are, we are very upfront about what our priorities are. Um, and ultimately, we're hoping that the assembly will stay uh, in support of these things because, of course, we know that sometimes it's easy to support things that you know aren't going to go anywhere. But, you know, we, we, we are aware that that is a possibility um, and we'll be working with the State Assembly to make sure that, you know, things stay the priority that they should be. A year from now, journalists like us are going to look back on 2019 and say, here was a year that began with all this hope, these expectations, Democratic-controlled state government, a long list of progressive legislation, what got done, what didn't. What do you think is a realistic expectation for a voter? There's so much on the table. There are other things to think about, too. What would be a reasonable expectation for successes this year? And where do you think we'll still need to do work a year from now? I think that for sure, we ha like I said earlier, we have to pass the Reproductive Health Act. Um, I would really love to see a lot of voter reform pass before 2020, specifically automatic registration, early voting, no excuse absentee ballots even, uh, 
campaign finance reform for certain. I mean, running for office is very, very difficult, especially for people who have to work for a living. Uh, so making sure that, that more working class New Yorkers can run for office uh, and compete is, I think, very, very important. Um, and ultimately, I, I really think that there needs to be significant uh, progress made on the MTA front or New Yorkers are going to revolt. I mean, I, I, I was, I was, you know, joshing with you guys earlier about how I had to, I now have learned to leave 20 minutes earlier. Um, and, and of course the train was on time today, right. <laughs> right? So I was here a little, right. a little, a little earlier than you guys. But, um, but nevertheless, I think that that's now the, become the exception and not the norm. Um, and that's a problem because we, we can't be the best city in the world if our, you know, if our train's not working. Two quick follow-ups on that. One is, other than congestion pricing, do you have something you campaigned on or just something now that you support that, that you also want to see in terms of uh, MTA, either funding or reform? So we haven't, we haven't um, really nailed down where this dedicated funding would go to, whether it would be the MTA or schools, but certainly legalizing marijuana is something that is going to be a priority for this conference. Um, you know, it, the debate is no longer about whether we legalize it or not. That train has left. Um, it's about how it is that we do it, making sure that there's expungement of records first and foremost, but of course then making sure that there's a point of entry for working class people and we're not just allowing corporations that are already in other states come in and monopolize the industry here as well. Um, it's, it's also, you know, one of those industries where you, a lot, many people think, the average New Yorker thinks that a lot of revenue will be generated from it, but from what we've seen in other states, specifically Colorado, it's actually not as big as expected. So I think that, coupled with congestion pricing and a couple of other things, um, will will be the perfect formula. We'll we'll see what comes of it, but um, something's got to give. The MTA needs to get fixed. That, that hits on the city-state dynamic. You, as you indicated, you spend time in the de Blasio administration. You know a lot about how so much of what New York City wants to do goes through Albany. You'll now have some of that power over... Uh, laws in the city like mayoral control of schools and a variety of other things. What's your agenda on that? How, how will you use your voice in terms of do you, now that you're going to have that power, do you, do you like it, do you see it, or do you want to return more of that power to the city? I always said the biggest lesson I learned while working at City Hall was actually how limited the city's power is over so many things. And so yes, when it comes to uh, the MTA, which is controlled by the state, I don't care what anybody says, it's our responsibility and I'll now get to include myself there, right? It's my responsibility to, to be advocating for a better system because I truly do believe that when it comes to capital funding, the city puts in quite a, quite a big chunk of money de Blasio added another $418 million in this past fiscal year. Um, and then that's on top of our swipes, right? And now the fares are going up and it's, 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 it's just be, comes across as a boondoggle that be, unfortunately because of its designation as an authority, we don't exactly um, get to have a lot of oversight. I mean, the, there's been, you know, there hasn't been a non-budgetary hearing about the MTA in the state Senate in over a decade. And I very much expect that that's gonna change this time around. Um, and, and, and that's the good thing about being a Democrat in the majority, I think. It's, it's, it's really exciting uh, because we, we will be able to make headway uh, on that, 
hopefully on schools, especially now with John Liu as chair of the subcommittee um, for New York City education, but also Shelley Mayer uh, in, in the at the helm of the education committee. Um, that should be fixed as well because that's, of course, not not just a, a city a city controlled issue. It's really the state who decides on mayoral control and, and parental involvement and funding. Um, and then again, rent regulations. No matter what's happening on the on the city level, whether you like the affordable housing plan from the administration or not, it's ultimately the state that has to say, okay, we're going to repeal vacancy decontrol. Okay, we're going to get rid of the vacancy bonus. We're going to extend preferential rent to full tenancy. Um, we're going to make sure that MCIs are, are you know, reformed or abolished, which would actually be, be the goal. Um, it's, it's, it's the state that can say, all right, we're going to expand regulation for units and, and, and end this era of just preserving, but expanding. Well, I think that's the perfect place to leave it, what the state can do uh, relative to the city and, and some things that are on your mind. So uh, State Senator-elect Jessica Ramos, thanks so much for, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for watching Agenda 2019 on Manhattan Neighborhood Network. For more on this series, you can visit mnn.org, gothamgazette.com, or citylimits.org. From the Manhattan Neighborhood Network studios, I'm Ben Max. And I'm Jarrett Murphy. Goodbye. Goodbye.